The North Carolina Healthcare Association is a proud sponsor of the Do Politics Better podcast. The association is a united voice for hospitals, health systems, and care providers to ensure they can offer high quality, lower cost care to all North Carolinians. Visit nchealthcare.org to learn more about how hospitals and health systems are working to make healthcare easier, more convenient, and with better outcomes. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Happy day after Election Day to all of those who celebrate. I hope everyone celebrates. Election Day is a great day, whether it's at the local, state, national level. I love Election Day. This week's election was really unique because we have a current legislator that was on the ballot and some former legislators. So current Senator Mike Woodard was running for Durham mayor and he was defeated by Leo Williams. Both Senator Woodard and Leo Williams have been guests on this podcast. Senator Woodard's a Democrat. He put his name in the in the hat a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. He went up against a phenomenal young candidate in Leo Williams, currently sits on the city council. Senator Woodard will be staying in the Senate as far as we know. Now, mayor-elect Leo Williams, he's got a very ambitious agenda, and he is going to need a partner in the Senate to be able to get some policy changes, maybe even some resources for Durham. I hope that the new administration in Durham and the voters there and the political structure there see Senator Woodard as an ally for them in the North Carolina Senate. Because I'll tell you, it might have been a campaign issue in the mayoral election that Senator Woodard works with the majority party. You know, he is known to sign on to some bills, the agriculture bill. He gets his hands uh, in the budget a little bit, works a lot on energy policy, and he works constructively with the majority. Uh, To this new mayor, to this city council, to the whole city, uh, Senator Woodard is an asset. But that wasn't the only election. Former legislators were on the ballot this week. Former Representative Raymond Smith ran for Goldsboro mayor, and he just barely lost. I think it was less than 10 votes. In fact, I was looking at the results last night. There were 11 write-ins. I bet former Representative Smith is thinking, man, I could have used those votes. Of course, uh, you know, the paper has declared him as losing the race. I'm interested to see if there are any absentee ballots out there or provisional ballots that'll be counted this Friday. Down in Huntersville, that's in Mecklenburg County, Uh, former Representative Christy Clark, who used to be a perennial candidate against John Bradford. They they would trade off some of those elections. She's the new mayor in Huntersville, won decisively last night. Congratulations to her. And then over in Mooresville, former state senator Chris Carney won mayor. Yeah, he... It, that was also a lopsided win. Uh, Senator Carney, I think, served a term in the Senate. We see him around the building a lot. He is very close friends with Representative Jason Sane. But uh, congratulations to Senator Carney. 
And interesting, uh, not a former legislator, not anyone who really is involved in Raleigh politics at all, but uh, Ben Guinea, who is currently a commissioner on the Silva Town Board, he won his election four years ago. It came down to a coin toss. Uh, Ben is right now tied for that third seat on that uh, town commission. It looks as if, Sky, it's going to come down to another coin toss. Ben is actually a listener of the podcast. Ben, uh, best of luck on your coin <laughs> toss. <laughs> another nail-biter election. All right. So while the local elections got a lot of our attention, I know a lot of folks in NC Poll World were paying attention to three major races on Tuesday night. The first was the Virginia legislature. They have their elections in off-year elections. It's kind of a curious system they have in Virginia. Uh, I know a lot of folks were looking at the Ohio abortion statewide referendum. And they did abortion and marijuana. There's also the governor in Kentucky. Uh, Governor Bashir, I think is how you pronounce his name. He was defending his seat on Tuesday night. Democrat. Democrat. Just got a lot of attention in NC poll world today. Let's unpack it. Didn't look good for Republicans. Uh, Virginia legislature. Uh, it was already a Republican Senate. So the House was in play. They call it the House of Delegates there. The House of Delegates flipped from Republican to Democrat. Now, what does that have to do with us? We have tended to look at Virginia in their election right before our election, and we got one coming up in, in a year, uh, we, we tend to look at Virginia as a bellwether state. I am not one of those observers that puts a lot of stock in what happens in Virginia happens here, but it certainly is a data point. It is something that I think Democrats in North Carolina look to Tuesday's election and they go, hey, uh, we should look at their message. They're probably saying, hey, we should probably recruit candidates that are similar because Virginia Democrats did a, a really good job of recruiting. And then let's just skip over to Kentucky. We'll get to the abortion and marijuana referendum in a minute. In Kentucky, same in Virginia, Republicans wanted to nationalize those races, and Democrats really did a good job of keeping them focused on state issues, mainly the economy, working issues. This morning, as we're recording, by the way, we're recording on Wednesday, November 8th. I imagine that Democrats are huddling up and looking at Governor Bashir's message in Kentucky, and they're looking at the messaging and recruitment in Virginia. And probably some of their local wins here in North Carolina. Absolutely. Again, not something I believe is a prediction of what happens in 2024, but it does give Democrats and Republicans some benchmark data points that they can use as they are gearing up for the 2024 election. Aside from electoral politics, major referenda in Ohio as it pertains to abortion and marijuana. 
Ohioans voted to codify abortion rights, and they also voted to legalize recreational marijuana. Ohio used to be a swing state Mm -hmm. in that it would go red or blue. It seems to be a pretty reliable Republican state now. I think this will get the attention of the parties as well. I imagine abortion will be front and center in the 2024 election, just as it was in the 2022 election. Democrats did not respond well in 2022. They had very low voter turnout. We'll see what 2024 brings. Of course, there will be a presidential race in 2024. That drives turnout. Democrats don't tend to vote in off-year elections at the same rate Republicans do. But Uh, A lot to glean. We will learn more over the next few days, months, uh, as the data, the precincts, the districts that voted in Kentucky, in Virginia, in Ohio uh, are studied more. On Tuesday, we found out there was possibly a little more backstory to Beth Wood not running for re-election. A grand jury here in Wake County has indicted state auditor Beth Wood on allegations that she misused her public state-assigned vehicle. And the announcement came from District Attorney Lauren Freeman, who is a Democrat. Beth Wood is a Democrat. And this probably fills in uh, the reason as to why Auditor Wood announced last week that she was not running for re-election. She faces a class two misdemeanor. In the indictment, it says that she was traveling back and forth to regularly scheduled hair appointments and dental appointments out of town, traveling to shopping centers and spa locations where she was... Story of my life. (laughs) Right. <laughs> where she was not engaged in business in her official capacity. So, uh, this is really not good news for the state. By the way, the auditor is in charge of investigating malfeasance. She is scheduled for her first court date on December. Also on Tuesday, House Speaker Tim Moore released his first congressional ad. Pretty standard ad. I'd say nothing remarkable about it. He does address he's got opponents that are going to come after him. Uh, He just says that's politics. But he also uses the video to list his accomplishments as Speaker. Congratulations to Speaker Moore. He is running in that 14th district as a Republican. He has an opponent in Pat Harrigan, who has already taken the gloves off in welcoming him to the race. If that name sounds familiar, Pat Harrigan ran against Jeff Jackson two years ago, was defeated by Jeff Jackson. We hear that Mr. Harrigan is coming with lots of money, and it is a race to watch next year. You got at least one unsubstantiated rumor this week, right? Yeah, rumor going around Raleigh that Representative Caleb Rudow, he has served two years. He was appointed to Susan Fisher's seat a couple years back. He won re-election in 2022, but there's a rumor going around that he is looking hard at that congressional race. Uh, That's in the 11th district. 
uh, right now, freshman Congressman Chuck Edwards, former senator in the General Assembly, Republican, uh, has that seat, so he'll be defending it. Congressman Edwards defeated Madison Cawthorn two years ago to win that seat, but uh, it's a pretty safe Republican seat. There have been some names mentioned around NC Paul as to who would replace Caleb Rudow. One is former Representative Brian Turner. We're waiting for a decision on this. Once we hear, we'll pass it on to you. This week, we got to sit down with Representative Kelly Hastings to talk about his life. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative Kelly Hastings, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Start us off by telling us about your district. And I know we're in the middle of redistricting, so your current district. Where is your district? Why is it special? Well, the district is a large part of Gaston and Cleveland counties. And it's special because it's filled with great North Carolinians. Good answer. (laughs) Now, you're from there, right? Were you born and raised in the area? I was actually born in Boone. My dad was in college there. We moved back to Cleveland County, so I grew up in Shelby, and then I married a a girl from Cherryville, so I ended up back in in Cherryville, and that's where we are now, which is right in the heart of the district, right, basically right in the middle of, of House District 110. We're recording this podcast on October 24th. You guys are about to go in and vote on maps. Under the new maps, have there been many changes to your district at all? No. Okay. Minimal. But a big change is coming in that the Speaker of the House, he announced he's not running for re-election. Sharing a county with the Speaker of the House has to have a lot of upside, right? It has some upside. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. But it can be a different uh, uh, type of scenario because, you know, I was friends with him before he went to law school, before either of us became elected that means that uh, there are times that that i sacrifice and have sacrificed uh when he first thought about running i was one of the first two or three on on his team and i told him at that time i said hey look you've got a lot of people to deal with i know you we've been friends for over three decades and i said so don't don't worry about trying to appease me with special uh, committee assignments. Mm. I said, you just do what you got to do to appease other people. However, (laughs) you need to take care of me at budget time. (laughs) (laughs) I know you said you were born in Boone and you went to App State, right? Can you kind of take us back? I saw on your campaign website, you've been to lots of schools. So can you kind of walk us through that time in your life? Yes. Uh, Originally, I started at Gardner-Webb, which is in Cleveland County. Mm. Garden Webb's actually in the, the current speaker's district. You know, decided uh, that that at that time school wasn't really for me, uh, so I ventured out. I moved to California to see what life around the country's like. There, that's when I really realized I needed more education. So I came back 
and enrolled in Appalachian. Okay. But I tell people I had to have help because I don't, most people don't know this, but I had a learning disability. Hmm. And so where I grew up in Shelby, if you're not really academically gifted, you just assumed at that time that you were going to go to work in the mill. I had jobs after school and on Saturdays. And so I just assumed that I was going to go to work in one of the mills. And so, you know, I, I was behind academically. I, I remember the moment that I realized I had a some sort of disability. It was in the first grade. I, I, I can see it now. I can see the girl sitting beside me. Her name's Vicki Latham. And we had a subtraction test, simple subtraction. And for some reason, and this was tough on my dad because he was a math teacher. For some reason, I couldn't grasp the concept. And I remember when the teacher handed our grades back, I looked over and saw Vicky's grade and it was 100 and mine was not 100 <laughs> for sure. Okay. So, um, so getting back to your point about Appalachian, so I, I, I never really did catch up mm-hmm. and I knew that and I had a really bad SAT. And when you're, when you're that age and you're not really performing uh, academically, it's, it causes a lot of different um, thoughts mm-hmm. as far as how you cope with it. Then, so, so back to Appalachian. So my dad and mom rented from one of the trustee members. And so when I came back from California, I said, hey, I'm, I think I'm now ready to, to go, go to school and give it a shot. And so the, the gentleman that helped me, um, James Marsh, Mr. James Marsh, uh, he said, well, he said, I, I can probably help you get in, but, you know, it'll be conditional on your surviving. I said, okay, I got it. So um, actually I had to take, this is kind of embarrassing, but not, but I guess not really. I had to take remedial math. And actually, it was a good thing. It, it, it made me go back and focus on some things that I really needed to, to know to, to be able to maneuver life and percentages and things like that. So, so it might have been a blessing in disguise. Yeah. So graduated, certainly not with honors. And then um, through the years, I, lifelong student, I guess, is what you would call it. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I went back to uh, to get a teaching certificate in social studies. So that's how I ended up with so many schools on okay. the board at UNC, Charlotte, um, Gardner Webb. Took I actually I had an online course at um, Western Carolina, and I think I had one at East Carolina if I if I remember uh, correctly. Wow. So so but but all of that was to go back and make sure I had all the prerequisites okay. to get the teaching certificate, which I eventually did and um, performed you know had matured enough and made it through the 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 lack of academic performance enough to to do pretty well in the teaching certificate process, which is pretty difficult by the way oh yeah, yeah to become thinking. a licensed teacher in North Carolina is not an easy a task did you teach so what happened? As I was preparing to do that, to teach, I filled in for a lady who had uh, spinal surgery. But the good thing was, at the time, I was studying to become a teacher. And so those hours that I spent 
were I was able to count those as the experience toward the the licensure and so then I went on to do my student teaching actually in my current district at a school called Burns which is in uh, upper Cleveland County so finished my student teaching and eventually became licensed and then right after that got elected to the house and that took me out of that it took me out of my real estate career and because it's 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 basically a full-time position with part-time pay so my real estate business definitely definitely suffered and still suffers but but that's okay it was a good trade-off my wife and I agreed that she works full-time she we both agreed that it would be a good trade-off to to serve I'm thankful that that my family's allowed me to do this when I first got here, we were starting some of the education reform, and we had uh, people actually calling for boycotts of my business and my wife's business. Really, mm. and that was it was okay if it would have been, just been for me, but they were attacking her and calling for a boycott of her yeah. business, and so I'm I'm thankful that 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 she and my daughter have had the the class and the uh, wherewithal to to have the stamina to make it through it and and not react in a negative way so i i thank them and it must be hard for them to see your wife your daughter see you attacked right and that happens i'm sure you get online posts and the boycott and all of that but that must that must be hard for them even though they've they've worked through it well fortunately at that time my daughter was much younger i doubt she really knew what a boycott was at that time okay but she definitely picked up on it yeah i know i know she picked up on it because they attacked her about an education issue um we had decided Sophie, uh, we just found out that Sophie has a, a, a neurological issue where she couldn't really run like she wanted to, so she chose swimming. So we sent her to a private school that had a swim team, and some people attacked attacked us for that, But, but in, in which brought her name into it, which, which was unexpected from me, but uh, but she did pick up on that too, and she she's responded with, even even as a young 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 female, she responded with grace throughout that throughout those attacks. And Anika, my wife, never let it uh, get to her when they started calling for boycotts of her business. She just she she kept moving forward. So I so I appreciate them. Yeah, and your wife's a dentist. She is. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. In your adult life, have you learned to cope with the learning disability as it pertains to math, or have you found ways to get around it as, as we often do? You know, I forced myself to have to learn those basics, and I found myself having to read, and maybe a lot of people have to do Maybe I'm not, you know, the only one. I had to read um, subject matter like four or five times to, to grasp it especially the math. So the, the basics, I just put in enough time and just somehow said, you, you got to do this. You got to learn percentages, division, um, some basic geometry. You have to know all of that to be a real estate licensee. Right. So, but, but I had some really good help in that remedial math course that I had. I do remember this, uh, just to get through the algebra in college, 
I would sit outside the professor's door probably two or three times a week to get the, the, the tutoring to make sure I knew what was, what was coming on the test. Mm-hmm. So made it through it, made mm-hmm. it through it somehow, but uh, didn't have a great GPA coming out of college, I can assure you that. I think my daughter's SAT doubled mine. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so, you know. My children did the same to me. Yeah. I, I bombed the SAT, and it's so interesting, right, that in some ways I excel. You the same. I mean, we've seen your political career, but in, we do have these glitches, right, in our brains that, yeah, I, I can relate. Well, one thing I've learned is gifted students – are gifted in different areas right. and they're still called gifted. That's right. Still part of the gifted community. One student might be an artist or, or whatever it might be. And where does your military service fit in? That's when I was at Appalachian and I wanted to serve. I did that and I went to um, recruit training on Paris Island in the, in the middle of uh, college and came back and served in reserves which that's helped a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that helped me build discipline and also helped me get a job early in my career as a parole officer. I want to back up a little bit to your earlier life. You said you've known the speaker for three decades. And just knowing you and knowing the speaker, I just imagine you as two young men sitting around talking about politics all the time. Were you guys dreaming ahead together or, or was it just it, a, a regular friendship? The first time I really met... The, the current speaker was when I was working for a guy who was a lieutenant governor of the state. His name was Jim Gardner. I was his Western North Carolina field rep. And Tim and another young man, remember I'm 10 years older. Okay. Tim and another young man came to, came to my door one day and said, Hey, we found out that you're working for Jim Gardner. And that's how we, okay. how we met. Did not spend a lot of time, uh, sitting around, uh, you know, it was 10 years older, so we didn't spend a lot of time sitting around. But fast forward to the year 2000, we were in Philadelphia at a convention, and we ended up going to dinner, and uh, Tim said, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about running for office. And I can't remember at that time, it was either, it was either judge or DA. That's, that was what he was thinking about. And uh, at some point along the way, he decided uh, not to do that and to run for the state house instead. And if you'll remember, that was when he he ran against Andy Dedman. Oh, right. And Andy Dedman was the majority whip, I believe, at that Uh time in a pretty heavily, heavily weighted Democratic district. Yeah. And so that was another historical election there when Tim won that one. And then in 2010, some years later, you decide you're going to jump in and run for the North Carolina House. What went into your decision? The first time I ran for office, uh, the the city of Shelby was going to close an alleyway that affected my family business. And that's when I realized I was like, wait a minute, you know, the the government can make some moves that can affect a person one way or the other. So I ran against a longtime incumbent and uh, he beat me by a couple hundred votes. Then I ran for county commissioner. This was in Cleveland. This was mm-hmm. before I moved to Gaston. And that was a um, for three seats. Had a number of people in it. I think five candidates. Those are hard races to analyze when you've got three seats and five people. So um, <clears throat> narrowly missed that one. 
and then decided to run for state house. Interestingly enough, the first time I ran for state house was we had a primary for an open seat. There was a guy who lived and worked in Raleigh at the Board of Elections. He was on the Democratic side. He filed, and I also had a primary. Well, I had a residency challenge filed against me. Oh, really? Which was, which was really interesting to go through. So um, I went through the process, and they ruled against me at the local level, ruled against me at the state level. I had a friend of mine who was my attorney, Bill Peasley. I said, hey, I, you know, this is, this is not right. I want to take it to the, to the next level of appeal. And I believe uh, statutorily at that time, or, or the, the rules were, uh, rules of procedure were the appeal would go to the Court of Appeals on that type of matter. And so we appealed to the Court of Appeals. I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I want to fight this. I'm, I'm, I'm right. I want to pay the money. I'll pay, be glad to pay you. But the Court of Appeals didn't, didn't take it up. So I was actually ousted off the ballot. Really? <laughs> Absolutely. What year was this? Uh, that was 2008. And so uh, then, so my, who I'm friends with now, uh, my primary opponent, Pearl Burris Floyd, won. And it was nothing against Pearl when I decided to come back the next election. I just was wronged and felt like I needed to, to write it. And fortunately, at that time, the people, you know, believed me and, and they spoke. And I narrowly defeated uh, Pearl, Governor Pearl Burris Floyd. She's a That's UNC right. Board right. of Governor member. Narrowly defeated her in a primary. And, and so um, that, that's how I got into the, into the House. She challenged you again, I believe, in 2012, but then it was a somewhat, it was a bigger margin of victory for yes. you, right? Yeah. Your style of leadership. We noticed when you were presiding over House rules, what an efficient chairman you are when you were filling in for Destin Hall. In fact, we, Carl Gilmore is sitting over here. I texted him. He's like, man, this man really knows how to run a committee. Can you talk a little bit about your style of, of doing politics in the General Assembly? I would call it more behind the scenes. I've not really tried to force the speaker because we're friends or anything to place me in any in any position. The the only time that we really sort of bantered back and forth was when I wanted to chair the transportation committee because transportation back home at that time was a really big issue. And I needed to learn it. I needed to know it because there were hundreds of millions of dollars of decisions being made. Other than that, I've not really pressed him. And I've had to keep a certain, having to go through a lot of primaries through the years, I've had to keep a certain amount of independence uh, to, to try to survive. And so that's a little bit about the, you know, as far as my service down here, I've not been quite as a, quite as hard of a runner here, but it's, it's, it's entailed a lot of detailed work back home. I also saw that you worked for Congress for a bit. Right. Charles Did, Taylor. Yeah. In the mountains. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I can tell you exactly how that came about. Um, so I worked for Jim Gardner mm -hmm. and another interesting story. Now, was it while Gardner was a congressman? He was, he was Lieutenant governor running for governor. Okay. And toward the, into the camera. Remember now, when I was in college, we didn't have cell phones. 
Right. Me either. And during that campaign, that was back, what, 1990, 90-ish, 90 yeah, to 92? so, yeah. Cell phones were not that prevalent then. And, and I had the mountain counties. And I kept telling uh, a buddy of mine who was on the campaign, I said, can you try to get us a cell phone? Surely. I mean, this was getting toward the end when you're asked to go a lot of places, distribute a lot of things. It's hard to contact people back on the old landlines. You don't have a cell phone. You just pick up. And I said, you think we might get a cell phone? And I, I kept getting this, this denial. And it, and it seemed kind of strange. If, if, if I just had it to call headquarters. And it, it seemed strange. And so then I think it was about two weeks before the general election, Jim Gardner set up a huge education summit in Buncombe County. I, I remember my boss called and said, um, we're going to have a big education summit. Well, lo and behold, right before Jim Gardner's education summit, Jim Hunt had a summit. And, and our whole staff was going, wait a minute, how, how could that have happened? Well, what it ended up being was Scannergate, oh. if you remember Scannergate. Yeah, they were picking up scans on the... Of the family's, um, yeah. their cordless phones, et cetera. So, so we, you know, that, that was a good lesson in politics. I'm pretty sure there were some, either they pled guilty or were convicted. I can't remember. We should probably explain for young listeners like Carl over here, back in the day when there were cordless phones in the house, sometimes you would pick up that signal. Even on your phone, you could hear your neighbors talking. But there were ways to buy equipment to actually intercept the signal and you could just listen to anyone's conversation. So a lot back in the nineties, I think it was, you had conversations. Of course we didn't have the internet, but they were out there. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, they got caught up in that. Yeah. And I think, um, I believe it was one of his, one of, um, former governor Hunt's law partners that might've pled guilty. I, th I think that's what it was. And, yeah. I, and we never knew what the amounts on the civil, settlement were for the privacy part of it. I, I, I never learned that. I never, never knew about it. In fact, when you Google Scannergate, not a lot about it comes up. It's, the internet was just not that prevalent back then. Right. If that had happened today, you could Google it and, and yeah. just learn all kinds of things about it. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but that was another interesting, that, that's how, yeah. uh, you know, another uh, entrance into, into politics, uh, working for for uh, Jim Gardner, mm -hmm. that was a that was a really strange experience, though. It it taught me a lot yeah. about about life and politics, especially. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's people will, and I, and I've even heard this comment recently out of some candidates. They will do whatever it takes to win. Mm -hmm. But anyway, after that, I had to had to go find a job, <laughs> and so <laughs> right. you know, another job. I had yeah. to figure out a way to make a living. Right. Do you ever think about pursuing higher office, whether it's Congress or higher? I think everybody thinks about it, but sometimes um, business and life and, you know, I'm getting, I'm, I'll be uh, 63 in June. Okay. So I've got, my wife and I have a lot of aging family members around us that, that takes quite a bit of our, our time and, and effort. 
And um, for instance, she's the guardian for an aunt who never had children, never was married. And my parents are aging. They've got some health issues and, and, and her mom's aging, which, which causes some, some issues too. So uh, we, you know, we always, I think, would probably dream about it, but whether it's, whether it's actually in the cards, I, I just, don't, just don't know at this point. Caring for aging parents is one of the th- things I didn't really think about when I was getting older, but that's a challenge, right? And we've, you've posted about this, about, you know, it, you having to, you know, go back home, care for your mother. And I mean, it's, just, it's a difficult chapter in, in our lives, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. And, you know, dementia can be brutal. My mother it's, suffers from it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's brutal and, you know, to have to, to live with it and, and view it on a daily basis is, is especially difficult. Yeah. And that's another reason I've, I've slowed down this year too. I had surgery. Not only that, we had to go through, we were dealing with, with aging people at home and some other things. So I've, I've kind of really been a lot slower this year. Actually, I noticed this year I was slower mentally too. Yeah. Um, and physically. But starting to rebound out of all that now. What's something you've worked on in your over decade at the General Assembly that you're really proud of? There, there are many, mm-hmm. but I, I think probably the three would be um, Kaylee's Law definitely was one. Can you explain what it is? If you'll remember Kaylee, the Kaylee Anthony, mm-hmm. who was killed mm-hmm. allegedly by her mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't there. I don't know the facts, but we, you know, we think we know what happened. But that was a situation where people were like, "Well, what would happen in North Carolina if this if this occurred?" And so we researched the law and realized that North Carolina had a loophole. We didn't have a twenty four hour reporting period uh, uh, requirement. Mm-hmm. And some people say, "Well, what about twelve hours?" Well, I mean, you know, in rural North Carolina, you might have a kid run to the grandmother's house and spend the night or something like that. So we put it at 24 hours, and then there was another provision in there uh, regarding the, the burial of a child to, to try to conceal the death. And that, got a, that, that bill got a lot of attention. And I have to say that constituents actually f- forced that uh, to think about it, you know, what would happen. And I'm glad they did. Because once we researched it, there there were there was a loophole for sure. Mm-hmm. So that was that was certainly an emotional one. Um, the other <clears throat> was uh, respect our fallen heroes. What had happened back in our area? We had a marine and a soldier who had been killed. Pretty sure they were killed in in action. But they were getting getting ready for their burial process, the ceremonies, and that group. I forgot the name of the group now, but. Uh, they made it their uh, goal to go around the country disrupting the funerals of our fallen heroes. Oh, yeah. Westboro, Westboro Baptist, Baptist Church. Church. I believe it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Bunch of, yep. yeah, those guys. They're yeah. terrible. And so, um, you know, we, we worked on that and tried to tried to tighten up the, the rules that would be recognized for those ceremonies um, so they wouldn't get disrupted. And those are difficult. I mean, you have you need to understand the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, freedom of speech, because their reaction is, um, 
you know, we have a right to come do this, especially on sidewalks and other traditionally protected places for speech. So we had to narrowly tailor that and be able to, to argue it the right way. And fortunately, from a constitutional perspective, that First Amendment issue, that nobody's ever challenged that. Mm-hmm. So it survived. So we, you know, we narrowly tailored that language and, and sent the signal then here's what you're up against in North Carolina if you come do this. And it, it has survived. It's never been challenged in court. Good. And, um, then, and then one other, uh, yeah. you, 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 one other that uh, kind of emanated from the constituents, too, was uh, another bill that I filed. Um, and these are ones that I was the lead sponsor on. There's three of them. Uh, and that was Protect Our Students. We had mm-hmm. some situations where, unfortunately, uh, a few educators were um, having inappropriate relationships with students. Mm-hmm. So we, we filed a bill to work on that. And, but that's a good lesson. You, you can pass a lot of bills, increase penalties, um, do all this work, but it's, some people never see it. They never get it. And we're still having some problems today. We've got a, actually, we've got a case in Gaston County right now regarding a, a teacher who allegedly had an inappropriate relationship with a student. You have a reputation in the General Assembly for being a watchdog for the taxpayer. And let me give you a little context. Sky and I were working on a bill a couple of years ago, and we were like, hey, let's, let's play with this tax over here. It'll fund what we're trying to do. And I remember Carl told us this, and leadership said, well, you're never going to get this past Representative Hastings. He's, he's not going to like a tax increase. And so we had to adjust. We adjusted the bill to get out of your way. We didn't want to get in your way here with what your promise is. But can you talk about this commitment you have to not raising taxes? So remember, I didn't say that, that, I, that I couldn't support some reform. Sure. And we've done some reform. Yeah. We've cleaned up the code. And sometimes that causes some products to move into an equal setting. There are some specific taxes that, that I'm on record in campaigning uh, that, that I said I wouldn't support. And that started back in my early leadership days with the Association of Realtors. Mm-hmm. That's back when they were trying to pass um, a tax on real estate services. And... Uh, at that time, Tim Kent was our executive director. And, and so their big, uh, big issue was we, we do not want you to support a new tax on uh, real estate services. And so that's where, the, where I really gave my word and committed and, and couldn't, break that, couldn't break that. Yeah. But like I said, I'm not against reform. Right. So, sir, there's no situation where it's holier than thou. It's just I've made some specific campaign promises that I've had to abide by. Yeah. We ask everyone this question. Our politics are very divided now, more than ever, maybe. If you could change one thing, either policy or about our politics today, what would it be if you had a magic wand? Aside from having Christ come back. (laughs) <laughs> which that would probably be the top. I would say probably world peace. Yeah. yeah. Not, and, and when I say world peace, that means here across the world. Mm-hmm. Because we're, 
we're in a time, especially the last few years, where society's, in my lifetime, it's, it's, it's become really aggressive. People are, are becoming really physically aggressive, orally aggressive, mm-hmm. um, even aggressive on the, the highways. It's, 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 it just feels like a tense, tense time. So that's why I wish, uh, if I had a one, I would just say, hey, let's, let's, let's have overall peace. You would do well in a beauty pageant, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that like the beauty pageant answer? Yeah, well, you know, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, that, that would be. Heck. Yeah, that's a good answer. Especially in the last two weeks, too, with all that's going on in the world. We could do it's some peace. devastating. And, and, and maybe that's why uh, peace is at the, yeah. peace of mind, peace is at the forefront because yeah. of what's been happening. I wake up thinking that too. Well, Representative Kelly Hastings, we appreciate everything you're doing in North Carolina politics. We appreciate your service in the North Carolina House. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Oh, thank you. Thank you, guys. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. I remember when Representative Hastings defeated former Representative Pearl Burris Floyd, who, again, is on the Board of Governors, the UNC Board of Governors. Uh, It was good to hear a little bit of that backstory. That was a contentious primary. A big thank you to Carl Gilmore, who is the research assistant to Representative Hastings. By the way, Carl is also the research assistant to Representative Tricia Cotham, and he does work for Speaker Tim Moore. A busy guy, but he helped us a lot in rounding up Representative Hastings, getting him over to the office to record this podcast. Thanks, Carl. Tweet Tweet of of the week. week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Michael Pratz. He's at Michael underscore Pratz on X or Twitter. It's a screenshot from the Board of Elections website. The town of Sunset Beach mayoral candidate, they only had one. They did get 129 votes. (laughs) Her name is Shannon. And then in parentheses, it says Hot Dog Phillips. And then there was only one ride-in, and the tweet says, if the one ride-in didn't choose to elect hamburger, I'm going to be disappointed in Sunset Beach. <laughs> Who goes by hot dog? No, there was some really interesting news in these local elections. Local elections, man. It's like the minor league, even though I don't want to discount local elections. Local elections is where government really affects your daily life, taxes, housing, roads, recreation, quality of life, but it is kind of this minor league of of elections in that, you know, these folks usually sometimes move up. Uh, we saw that with 
Speaker Tom Tillis, now U.S. Senator Tom Tillis, he started off on the Cornelius uh, town board. Yeah, you, you get some characters, and it was really fun to go through all the election results on Tuesday and learn, especially on Twitter. Twitter was very enlightening. <laughs> As it always is. Yes. So I've been checking in with you on your pursuit of obtaining a concealed carry permit. I'm going to the sheriff today. Really? Yeah. So you started this journey this summer. You had some incidents where it kind of alarmed you. To put it bluntly, I have walked to the office for five years now. Mm -hmm. From your home to your home. Yeah. And it's about a mile walk. And only in the last six months would I say that it has gotten more anxiety inducing. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a fair way to classify that. I think that's very fair. I mean, it was just a couple weeks ago. We lost a a life in Moore Square, which is just block north of us. Uh, A young man was shot and killed. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone was stabbed in broad daylight in that crosswalk right up there. Yeah. The homeless population has grown in downtown Raleigh. Now we've always had a homeless population down here. we bought this office back in 2018 and you know the homeless were here and, and you and I have interacted with them giving them food and at first it was okay but it seems like there's been a lot more aggressive uh, I think like definitely the mental illness has become more serious yeah someone took a swing at you mm-hmm. someone pulled out a machete someone chased you yeah yeah so you're thinking about, you know, protecting yourself. And and let's just say, I know a lot of listeners out there saying, well, she shouldn't walk to the office. And you would say, too damn bad. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not going to change your behavior. You want to walk to the office. You want to walk back home. That's a, you're a walker. You're very active. You don't want to have to get in your car to drive nine tenths of a mile. Right. First, I wanted you to take the concealed carry class, and I signed you up for it. Mm-hmm. But then you didn't pay the deposit. I know. Shocking. Yeah. And you kept saying, maybe, maybe. I'm interested in it. You're not great with the follow through generally. Uh, well, you know, the thing is, it's a Saturday. It's an entire Saturday yeah. of the class. I, like, I, I would like to do it, but I just don't know if I want to commit a Saturday. But then you just have to do it one Saturday, and then it's over, you yeah. know? Can I do it during the week? I don't think so. And I don't know if I would feel comfortable shooting in front of you because I bet you're a better shooter than I am. Doubtful. Yeah. I didn't grow up around guns. So my mom, it was basically me, my mom, and my sister probably could have used a gun in the home. Although now that I think about it, maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So tell me about the class. It sounds to me like you really enjoyed it. You learned a lot. You shot. But uh, I don't think I enjoyed it really. No. Really? Yeah. How many other people are in the class? There's maybe 16 people in the class. Okay. What are they like? The class structure is four hours straight. He's just reading the statute. Okay. And like that's part of what the DOJ says he has to do. Before the class started, okay, he says the instructor, Tony, he says, if you've got a story about your Uncle Bubba or whatever, keep it to yourself, okay? (laughs) And you know... (laughs) I'm like, this is my dude. (laughs) I don't want to hear your personal stories. We get into the class. First of all, starts at 8 a.m. Obviously, they are at 745. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I make like an outline as he's talking, Mm -hmm. law school style. and Different colored pens to write down certain notes (laughs) with. Yes, 845 comes 
and you hear someone like walk in someone in the back could see the person like standing in this hallway and tony's like is somebody in there and the guy's like yeah and so this kid i mean he had to at least be i guess 18 uh but i think you have to be 21 to get your concealed carry but so maybe he's 21 anyway you can it is a loophole you can take the class at 18 but you can't get it till you're 21 Mm. so it could have been whatever he looks very young regardless he's like somebody gonna check me out <laughs> he's late and he's, asking <laughs> he's 45 that. minutes late uh, yeah. and the instructor's like you're late and so he comes in and sits down whatever i didn't think he was gonna let him i thought he was gonna lay down the wall you know like sorry you already missed an hour try next try again next week but everyone in there thought they were an attorney <laughs> right to which, by the way, I did not need to vocalize that I was an attorney right. <laughs> or that people were like so incredibly wrong right. <laughs> in what they were saying. People are taking issue with the statutes, I guess. Oh, well, they were like, yeah, my cousin, blah, blah, blah. He went to court and he got charged with this. And it's like, I, you know, he said specifically, we don't need to hear that story. So yes. keep it moving. Shut up. Right. People <laughs> not doing that at all. No. no. So... I did think, like, if you were there, (laughs) it would have been hilarious because there was a lot of stuff to laugh at. (laughs) Yeah, but maybe, but these are people who are getting a concealed carry. Yeah, it was concerning. (laughs) It was concerning that all of these people, most of them already had guns. They brought guns with them to the class. You have to pass a test, right? Yeah. All right, so what's that test like? Quick 20-question multiple-choice test. And how'd you do? I did well. Okay, you passed. Obviously. Then, of course. <laughs> I have the opposite of test anxiety. I'm like ready for a test. Like, let's do it quick in and out. You want the test. Yeah. You're there for the test. That's the <laughs> highlight of your day. After you take the test, don't you have to shoot? Yeah. Tell me about that. So we go like as a class, I guess. I mean, everybody drove individually over to the shooting range, which I had already been to. First of all, we get to the shooting range. So it's like all of our class people, but there were a couple <laughs> slow test takers. <laughs> so the instructor had to wait for them. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> So many red flags here. Yeah. <laughs> the instructor did say that there were some people who shouldn't be trusted with crayons. <laughs> let really? alone the guns and i believe many of them <laughs> were in my class <laughs> okay <laughs> all right so people are hauling their cachet of guns over to a firing range <laughs> yeah all right but at the counter there was another group of people <laughs> that they just came in to shoot i don't know if i can say this first of all they were reeking of weed <laughs> okay <laughs> and they were trying to get like they were trying to rent multiple guns for shooting and the lady behind the counter is like absolutely not like it's they one want- per lane and i was like i don't want to be by these people they seem reckless and also they shouldn't be here under the influence of anything you know i'm like starting to get nervous they're not in your class reeking of weed these are other folks, yeah yeah so just yeah. other people at the shooting range so they're they wanted i wanted to be far away from them they want to double barrel it like i don't like, know what they wanted but like shooting like old school style right that was boom, like boom 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 tony soprano it style was uncomfortable for okay. me okay yeah yeah, so... That How did you do shooting? I did fine. It made me nervous. Yeah. It's I mean, much more nerve-wracking than a test for me. It seems like a gun, you need to be familiar with it. You need to 
have it in your hand size matters right mm-hmm. did it have like some kickback to it when it you did would- i told you one of the shells came up and burnt my mouth wow yeah so that wasn't great the gun, the gun i had been using was smaller and this was a little bit bigger so i wasn't i wasn't as familiar with the way the shells popped off and they hit me in the face every time. Okay. You're following through on the process. You're, yeah. you're going to get the permit. Sounds yeah. like you're going to the sheriff today. Yeah. But Chris Mills told me about a non-lethal gun. Chris Millis. <laughs> I don't at, need to drag at the names North, into that. At the North Carolina Home Builders Association. He talked to us a lot about guns because we've yeah. been talking about it. We had a couple folks try to get into the office here. Yeah. It alarmed us a lot. Yeah. I remember I was here one night and a, uh, I think it was a homeless person tried to get in. We uh, over at the Davy, which is the bar five doors down from us. Someone went in there and wouldn't leave. I mean, it, folks are getting really aggressive. And so, yeah, I, this non-lethal gun. Yeah. By the way, we're not sponsored by this <laughs> non-lethal gun, but I feel like that would be more my style mm-hmm. because the difference between you and me is you were like, I cannot imagine shooting someone, and I'm like, man, I feel like. I might just pop off, literally. I could shoot somebody. I certainly could protect you, my family. Could you? Yeah, I could. I would. I would. But I can just imagine being, oh, gosh. I think about the funeral for a family, you know? I just, just, I don't know. And the other thing, and I told Chris this, I mean, I'm kind of afraid. Maybe I shouldn't put this on a podcast, but I'm fr- kind of afraid I would just unload on somebody, you know, like just. Pow, 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 pow. I don't know that part of me, right? So I've never really been around too much. I mean, I've shot guns with uncles and things like that, but it's just not. <laughs> if you've got a story about your uncle, keep it to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll keep. Uh, but I do like this idea of having something that looks like a gun. Yeah, that's what I, I'm like favoring the yeah. idea of because just the the thought of having it or saying like you know i have a gun in my bag like i think that could deter people from messing around with me yeah julie and i've been talking about it too like so it you shoot the gun and it lets off a gas once it hits it like breaks a pellet and a gas disables them for, yeah and, I mean, have you ever been tear gassed i know i have oh. not have you yeah it's debilitating right yeah well, so it was kind of scary, kind of funny at the same time, it sounds like. During the class, I was texting you. <laughs> People talking too much is like your number one pet peeve. You yeah. want them to use fewer words at, as much as possible. Well, I just think like you're not really adding anything to the conversation here. Like mm-hmm. he's just telling you what the statute says. You don't need to bring in your personal stories. Mm-hmm. And then like people were just asking random questions, like stuff that really didn't relate to the material. This is a general theme in your life. We got invited to a fundraiser this week. We're going to a fundraiser Thursday night, and the senator said that he was going to have a name tag for you that said, don't talk to me. (laughs) Which I appreciate. Good luck getting your permit and your final decision on a gun or not a gun. But the most important thing, I hope you're careful careful I can just picture home. a situation where someone breaks into our office and then I've got to be like get behind me Brian you're yes. like okay holding on to my leg I'll be upstairs in the bathroom with the door shut <laughs> I'll be calling the police while you shoot this guy 
Obviously, I am not going to shoot anybody. All right, folks. It was a fun election episode. Welcome to basketball season for all of my basketball, college basketball lovers, including me. We will be talking about what happens next week. Until then, stay safe and remember to do politics better. Thank you.